Welcome back to I'm Trying the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure, as always, to have you here listening. I'm Trying is all about real deal conversations, reminding you, me, all of us here, that we are just all trying day by day. And this conversation today with Elise Liu is a prime example of that. She is a non-diet dietitian and host of the Craving Food Freedom podcast, and her entire construct and approach to life is just to keep trying and to work on your relationship to food freedom and mindfulness and really have a better relationship in general, not only with yourself, but with food and your body and movement and every aspect of life that relates to those. And so she's here to inspire and guide others to find this road to food freedom through mindfulness, intuitive eating, support, coaching, all of the goods. And so in this episode, she really dives into the relationship aspect of all of this. And she shares this through her own story with body image and shifts in life, craving comfort and using food as coping mechanisms. And then how her later relationships, as in romantic partner relationships in life, were the catalyst for even more change in her life and with her relationship to food. And so in this episode, she and I discuss how our relationship to food develops and evolves over time. This includes using food as a coping mechanism, going to it for comfort. And while that's obviously perfectly okay, there are times when we might want to question why we're feeling such a draw to the food. And so with that, she helps talk us through and work through food fears when you're in a relationship with another person and what that looks like when you're living alone versus living with other people, whether it's a roommate, a partner, family, etc. She goes a bit into redefining how we think about food and then also navigating disordered eating or just having a complicated relationship with food within another relationship. And this is just an episode, it was really powerful for me as I'm someone, I'm single, I live alone, and it truly has had an impact on how I view food. And I do think I view food as sometimes as a comfort and companion and way to feel less alone and distract, you know, kind of distract myself when I'm feeling that way. So this was a very eye-opening episode and I'd love to know what you thought about it. If you do listen through, you can connect with me on Instagram at Emily Feichels and then I'll share Elise's account and her podcast, everything linked below. Let us know what you thought. If you have any thoughts, takeaways, If you want to sort of interject and add something to the conversation, I would love to hear what you have to say. I'm sure Elise would as well. And as always, any and all support for the show goes a long way. You can share it on socials with a friend, leave a rate review, or if you'd like even more podcast, I'm trying community aspect of it all, you can join our Patreon, or not our, you can join the Patreon community that I'll have linked below. This is an exclusive community with guided breathwork, meditation audios, exclusive podcast episodes, and a monthly live Zoom call where we get to get together and chat and have Q&A. And it's just a real deeper level to this community because it is a subscription and it is an exclusive community for that reason. Not only does it support the show, but it allows me to connect with you all on a deeper level and on a more intimate level as well. There are some things I share very openly on this podcast, as you know if you listen, but there are still some things, actually a lot of things that I cannot say for the general public and possibly hundreds 
if not more, to listen to. So if you want the real behind the scenes, this is the place to go. Plus there will be resources such as the breathwork meditation audios to support you as well. So I'd love to have you there. But without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Elise. Well, I am so excited to be here with you today. At least we connected last week. I was on your podcast, uh, Craving Food Freedom, and it was such a delight. So much just fun and great conversation. And so I'm very excited to be bringing you to my community and sharing all the insight you have to share with us today. So starting out, as I just said, I was on your podcast, Craving Food Freedom. And so I'd love to just do a little bit of an intro here. If you could explain to anyone listening who you are in the season of life, what you're doing and how your podcast Craving Food Freedom came to be. And then we'll dive into some fun topics and convo that we've been hoping to talk about lately. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you, Emily, for having me. I am Elise Liu, a registered dietitian here in the Bay Area, and I focus on intuitive eating. And so having grown up in Marin County, if any of you out there are from the Bay, it's very hippy-dippy, very much like the almond mom community is strong. So having been in that environment um, and also being um, a minority, I was one of maybe three Asian kids. I just never felt like I belonged. And so a lot of that came out through my control mechanisms with food or I've swung across the pendulum of under eating restriction all the way to binging for years on end. So my relationship with food is pretty colored and frayed. And it was only in grad school that I really started to look at that relationship. And I discovered intuitive eating. I I read the book and because I was studying nutrition to become a dietitian, I knew that was the path I wanted to go on. So fast forward, it's now 10 years later, and this is my field. This is what I do day in and day out. And here I live right now in the Silicon Valley, where I service mostly techies and millennials in these big tech companies. And I help them rediscover food freedom and mindful eating through this intuitive eating body positivity lens. I love that. And part of your messaging is food and body therapy. And I love that because it is so much more at the end of the day than just focusing on the food or just the body or just like the external factors. It's sort of like going to therapy and really getting to like that root core cause of things. And so I am curious when you were growing up, it was, do you think it was just like being that minority? Was it anything else that really like pushed you to start into this, you know, just sort of dangerous realm of diet culture as a like child, teenager, whomever growing up? Oh, yes. I remember very discreetly that I had a summer where I was just doing a lot of activity. I was swimming. I was doing ballet. I was also running track and field. And I was not a very strong athlete at all. But because of that time, I think also coincided with my growth spurt, everything just changed. My appetite, I was ravenous. I was like a black hole of a stomach. I was never full. Paired that with going to ballet class every weekend, I was just staring at my protruding belly and I was like, okay, this needs to change. And so because of that, I think it just naturally that change in from being a child to adolescence, my body changing, my appetite changing, 
and seeing that number on the scale in PE where I didn't think I was at weight, but I was deaf. I was like that weight because I was growing. Everything just collided. And that's when I started to restrict. Um, but then over the years, as I was thinking about it, food became more of a comfort and I'm an only child. So I didn't grow up with any siblings. I lived in this very kind of tucked away, um, kind of house where the nearest mailbox is a 10 minute walk away. So a lot of isolation being an only child didn't really have the coolest friend group. And not to say that my friends at the time weren't cool. I just didn't relate to them. We were all very different. We were kind of the miscellaneous box of like friends. We would just sit there for lunch. We didn't really have a lot of points of connection, but we were just there. And so pair that with the shame of being first gen and my parents not knowing the language frequently, like uh, fluently, all of that shame, isolation, I think it was just food was my best friend. Whether I restricted or I overindulged, I just didn't know the middle. Like I forgot what eating normally was like for years because of that. So would you say it was almost like a coping mechanism for when you were feeling like any sort of way besides like you just don't know how to cope with your emotions as a kid, especially. And then it seems like food was kind of like your go-to for that. Like that's kind of the relationship you built with food. Totally. I did not have a vocabulary for any of my uh, emotions. I knew when I was happy and I knew when I was angry. I literally was like a fiery ball of uh, hormones as an adolescent. Bless my parents. They survived that. But I was volatile and I didn't know how to regulate or even name my emotions. So yeah, I just came out through food. So I guess then at what point you said it was in grad school, you start reading intuitive eating, you start having this like shift in everything, I suppose. How did your like actual recovery journey coincide with other aspects of life, right? So last time we spoke, you mentioned your love for relationships. And I was like, oh, this is a fascinating topic because I think it's so cool and neat to really look at not only the recovery process, but how that shifts and changes when you bring in outside relationships, right? And part of this all is your relationship to yourself, relationship to food, however it be. So how did your recovery and just sort of overall like shifting process coincide with different relationships in your life, whether that was the relationship you had with your body, with yourself, with a partner, friends, however it be. I'm just curious to hear what your experience was with that. Mm, I love this question. So I'm actually going to zoom into undergrad when I was at my happiest. And that was when I was living in the dorms first year. And I had never been around so many people for the entire day for months on end. And I was just the happiest I could have ever been. Every day I was walking to the dining commons with friends. I would see them. And coming from an only child being isolated in a forest and being surrounded by people, oh my God, my relationship with food magically became so easy. And I was like, this is great. And then coming off of that high from that first year, I met a boy actually at a party, a house party, and it was the summertime. And for me, and probably a lot of people, summers are really happy. I'm always outside. I'm just like so excited about life that my my relationship with food, I'm not using it as a comfort as much. Mm. And so my body just naturally, you know, responds in that way. And I was probably beaming and happy and joyous. And so I met this boy and I thought, oh my gosh, this, this was like the first boy contact where I thought he was also noticing me. And for so many years in high school, no one noticed me. I was the, the kind of, um, the shy, quiet kid that didn't like, wasn't very cool. Very, wasn't very loud. I didn't talk, 
But then, then in college, when I met this boy, like I actually had the confidence, like coming off of that high to like have a conversation. And that was the start of my first relationship. And I just remember, you know, that saying full off of love, I was completely full off of love. And so like, I didn't feel like eating and I just was like so happy. But that was also the time in my life where I realized that my relationship with food was kind of weird. I didn't really know what food felt like in my body. I just ate to eat or feel comforted. But this boy actually, it was like the start of it all. And I say that because he actually started to live with me. And so all of my food issues surfaced. Like I never realized how constipated I was. My digestion was always like very slow. But one day he woke up and he was like, Elise, let's get a salad. Let's drink some water. And I was like, why? I don't want that. And he was like, well, my digestion is slow too. I need, I need things to move along. And I was like, oh, you actually, you like make those, like you connect those dots. Like what? Um, but also there were periods that he would go home and I would be left alone to my own devices. And then I would just like full on binge again. So Ooh. whether he was there and when he left, my relationship with food completely swung from one side to the other. Fascinating. Yeah. I, I'm, I told you before, I was like, I'm fascinated to hear about this because I have always, I mean, even when I lived at home with my brother and dad, similar to you, it was a very like isolated house, like existence. And so I didn't feel like having them there didn't really change. I still felt like loneliness. I was still using food to cope. Right. And then now for the past two and a half years, I've been living entirely on my own. And it's only been in the past few months when I would like start kind of seeing a guy or have a friend over for dinner that I would realize how differently I thought about food. And suddenly like I wasn't like almost habitually reaching for dessert after every meal or I wasn't like reaching for this or feeling like the urge to that. I was just existing and having fun and being with this person. And then food was like an afterthought. It was like, oh, I'm hungry. Let's do dinner or whatever it was, right? So I'm I'm fascinated by that. And that's so curious that you having him in your life started to have you open your eyes to it. And you're like, oh, he's gone. I'm like binging. Like, what, what is this? What's happening? So I guess, how did things progress from there? You said first relationship. So I'm assuming he he didn't stick around <laughs> too long. Mm-mm. He did not. But no, he was a good intro into like, wow, this is maybe I need to look at this a little bit closer. I kn- I was aware that I needed to get more support. And I think having a therapist too during that time in my life helped me see that it was like a layered issue. It wasn't just about the food. It was about family. It was about connection. It was about, can you read your emotions well? But um, yeah, I think every time he left and every time he came back, it was just such a, such a stark contrast. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention was, um, I, I lived alone too for a few years and I had two cats and I thought getting cats would be like the stabilizing force I needed. Cause you're right. Every time I had friends over, I would feel this high then they would leave. Or anytime I had social interaction, I would feel this high and I didn't need food as much. And I thought I would get that from cats living alone. No, <laughs> did not work. It did not help. They didn't even like me. Like they would not acknowledge my existence. So um, fast forward to grad school, I pivoted and got a dog and that has been a really stabilizing force. Um, But grad school, I moved to LA actually. So I I went from the Bay Area to LA and something about the sun too. I just realized how like great having so much sun was to my mood and going on those walks, having my dog, the combination of mood boosting activities just stack through throughout the day also helped really stabilize me. I didn't realize how dramatic that difference would be, but it was huge. 
Um, but yeah, during my single times in LA, I also had periods of using food as like a source of support. And then I would also go on dates. And then I remember all the dates that I went on, I chose the food. I chose the time. I chose the food. Um, my first date with my current boyfriend who I now live with, I, uh, I let him, I let him believe that he was choosing. I was like, Oh, what time, what restaurant do you think would be good? And he was being very polite and he reflected it back on me. And I was like, perfect. I'm going to choose a geriatric dinner hour, five 30. And I'm going to choose a light Viet- Vietnamese restaurant so we can get spring rolls and a light pho. So I kind of planted the seed day one that I was going to be the control freak with food and that kind of hasn't changed. It's softened, but it hasn't changed. So that's my current boyfriend. I love it. <laughs> but it is true. And I want to go back to what you were talking about with this, like the mood shifts, right? Because I think this is such an interesting point that a lot of people, myself included, think to work on our relationship with food and in turn, like body image, everything that comes along with it, we we like put all the focus on the food. But what we sometimes don't realize is that it is oftentimes these other contributing factors that if we actually like put our focus elsewhere and have less focus on the food, it can really even things out and make it easier. And I think what you said there about finding these other parts of your life that were supporting you, boosting your mood, uh, just giving you something else to focus on, giving you something else to put your attention into. It like draws away from putting so much weight, like metaphorical weight on the food and when we're eating and what we're eating. And I'm, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? That sounds good. You know, whatever it is. And so I suppose like when you're working with clients now, is that something you touch on? Is that something like you could share some insight here about how we can better look at our days and maybe build in these sort of like mood boosting activities or sort of like mindset shifting practices if we are feeling just so much of our focus and energy is going into our daily food habits. Mm -hmm, Totally. I think the best example a client shared with me is the days that she is just in her house staring at her four walls and doesn't leave, doesn't talk to anyone. Those are the days where she, she eats the most or feels most comfort from food. And I always say we have five senses, right? We have sight, we have smell, we have touch, taste, and all of that other stuff. If the day is just you're working and you're not talking to anyone and you're just isolated, you're not stimulating any of your senses. So of course, food you have to eat. And when you do eat it, it just feels so much more exciting than a day that you sprinkled in a lot of fun and food is kind of, yeah, it's, it's great, but it's not the most special part of your day. So yes, I think for, for anyone specifically, if you can reflect on what brings you joy and are you getting enough of those sprinkles throughout the day, that'll make food much less exciting. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a hundred percent it. Like I I'm relating to that myself immensely. Uh, and I think it could be right. So you're saying that person, their issue was like when they're home all day and I'm feeling very similarly, I'm currently working entirely from home. And while I can go out to a coffee shop here and there and work, whatever, I'm still just like, I need simulation. All right. Like something needs to be shifting energy. So I personally have been trying to f- figure out how can I do that by incorporating like little walks throughout my days. I want to start doing like little daily dance breaks to get like, get everything shifting and moving. Um, and then, yeah, finding finding other sources of joy besides food. Because I also, I love cooking and I love to bake. So for me, it's like a double-edged sword of not only am I loving that food experience, I'm also loving the process of it. So if I'm not 
kind of careful and mindful with myself, I can really, really use those and depend on food as like my ultimate coping mechanism, my ultimate like fill the void mechanism. And that is something I'm continuously working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same. It's, it's one of those things that if it's something that brings you so much joy and it's something you need every day, it's easy to kind of rabbit hole into it. Um, yeah, even with my partner, when I observe how he eats, he's very different. Like food is such an afterthought and it really doesn't matter. He's so flexible. Like I'm the one that needs to choose exactly what we're eating. I have to be the one that like dictates that if it deviates from my idea of what I want, I'm not okay, but he's very different. And I think, yeah, everyone just has a different focus of like what brings them the ultimate excitement. <laughs> So that being said, have you learned, do you feel like you've learned any little life lessons from living with another person that has a drastically different relationship to food than you? I'd be curious to hear, or even like how, maybe like how that's inspired you to shift things or reframe mindsets or maybe to find a bit more spontaneity with food. Just like what has, what has this partner taught you? Yes. I think my partner, the thing that he's really taught me is how open he is to trying and how open he is to change. So a little backstory, he um, is also Asian American, but he's like third, fourth gen. So he's a little bit farther removed and his taste preferences. He went to school in Michigan. All he ever wanted were like burgers and pastas and like just, you know, foods that I would normally not like. I, I tend to just like Asian food, any kind of Asian food. And so he didn't even know how to use chopsticks when I first met him. And I was like, are you even Asian? Like, who are you? And so he really had to bend like 100% of the first stage of our relationship. He had to eat Asian food with me every single meal. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that he really did it prefer that. He like really was just like appeasing me. And I really appreciate that openness and flexibility because I, to this day, I don't have that extent of flexibility with food compared to him. And it's like, I need to just, I think for a lot of people, like that flexibility muscle is what we all lack a little bit, especially if we have rigidity around food. I appreciate that about him. But another funny thing, for years, I was living separately for him, from him. He lives in one area. I live 10 minutes away. We had separate apartments. I would literally haul my entire fridge worth of groceries to his place every weekend when I would stay over. So imagine mm. like all the veggies I brought, all the breakfast items I prepared beforehand, my teas, my chocolates, my nuts, like all the snacks. And I would be a crazy bag lady with all my bags, like hauling that from side to side, right? Had I been more flexible, had I just been a little bit more uh, effortless around food, I probably didn't. I could have only probably packed a snack bag and been okay. But because it was me, I needed like three grocery bags like hauled up here. So I think I've learned that like you don't it, it, it takes time. But I think I've loosened the reins a little bit myself over the years of like I went on a trip with his family and they have a completely different eating schedule. And I was actually okay with it for once. I could, you know, I could eat at their kind of 11 a.m. first meal and 8 p.m. second meal and just snack in between and still feel okay versus before I would have been like, no, I'm just going to skip the meal with your parents. I'll eat something on my own and then I'll meet up with them later for the activity. So just kind of compromising has been the biggest lesson. So how that to me sounds amazing, right? Because I, I think you're right. So many of us struggle with that, myself included. I constantly think that I'm like, oh, wow. When I do eventually have a partner, like I'll have to compromise. 
I'll have to be flexible. And I think for a lot of people, whether you have a history with an eating disorder, disordered eating, a rough relationship with food, body, whatever, I think even just people that like live quote unquote normally in that regard have these sort of like routines and structures. We as human beings just love routine and structure. And especially when it comes to like our food and our body even responds, you know, in certain ways when we're eating on schedules or when we're eating similar foods, you know, we just, we like what we like. And so for anyone listening, but especially for like our communities, I suppose, what are some practices or things that they could maybe do or something you maybe suppose they like journal on or talk to their therapist or their, you know, coach about so that they can really like start to lean into and possibly test the waters and learn more about being flexible and being able to compromise and not letting food like control us in that sense, right? Like Mm -hmm. essentially that's what's happening there is that we're not, we're letting this like thought process and this experience control us when it doesn't have to be. Yes, totally. The The best prompt that I've ever stumbled upon was um, the so what prompt. And I, I picked it up from the book, The Untethered Soul. And the specific example, the personal one that I can think of was before I was so rigid around the timing of my meals, I thought, okay, I have to eat within this window or else it's going to completely like rock my world. And my, my partner has shown me that like, it doesn't matter, but here's the thing. Okay. So let's say that's one example that you're struggling with, which is meal timing. It's so rigid. I want you to ask yourself, so what if I eat an hour later than my normal window? So what if that happens? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? And is it actually true that what the worst thing you think is going to happen is going to happen? If you can just kind of like use that exercise to really see what the the upper bound and the lower bound of what's going to happen is going to happen. It's going to make you feel more at ease. And for me personally, whether I eat at noon or two, yes, I might get more antsy, but if I just have a snack, knowing that I can't eat until noon, I'll be calm. I'll be cruising until two. So can you think of ways that the so you can kind of use the so what to prep in advance? And if it does happen, then like the worst thing that's going to happen is X and that's not so bad. Yeah. And I love that. I think where my mind immediately went when you said that proposition was you know, say I have my usual times. I just, I know I'm hungry usually around. I'm, you know, I usually kind of eat then. And if there's a point in which I'm going to be eating later in the day, asking myself like, so what, what's the worst thing that could happen? My immediate thought is like, I'm going to get hangry. I'm going to be like, I just, I turn into a whole new person, whatever it is, you know what it is. But then my immediate thought was, well, I could have a snack to hold me over. Then there's like that little part of my brain that's like, you don't need a snack. You know, you don't need this like extra food in your day, whatever it is. So I think I I love that prompt just for the fact of like, there's so many little things that you could probably learn or pick up about yourself just by asking that question, right? So it's not only like, so what about this instance, but what other thoughts are coming up around it? I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. sense, but that was like my thought process through that. So oh my gosh, a yeah. powerful one. I love it. Yeah. Cause for years I had the same fear of like, oh, I don't need that extra snack. Like that's going to feel so weird. How will I be able to control that amount or, you know, do it right? But it just is one of those things that it's exposure. Anything new that you're trying is going to feel weird and uncomfortable. And I think getting comfortable with that fear, I think took me years. It, it really mm-hmm. is a very slow, like exposure process. Um, but I'm actually so curious, Emily, about how you're you're doing in relationships right now if you're open to sharing what's that like (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm open to sharing. I'm an open book. I've shared a lot when it comes to relationships. But yeah, um, it was interesting. So I I had this sort of guy friend that I was actually really into for the past few months, um, especially. And every now and then when we would hang out, I would have this realization of like, I'd feel a little bit of fear about like suddenly, you know, oh, wow, this guy's here. You know, like my food, my everything's going to be off. But I quickly realized that whenever I was hanging out with him, I just wasn't thinking about food in that way. And I just, it was such a beautiful sense of freedom and really got me thinking and was like one of the bigger times for me to realize, I think just how much focus and energy I put on food living alone. And um, so while that didn't go anywhere, and I actually just closed the chapter on all of that last night, I think it was really neat because even entertaining the thought of if we were today, if we were to be in a relationship, how would things shift for me? What was like the biggest thing to come up for me was my relationship to food would have to shift and it and it would shift. And part of me got really excited because I think I almost, I need that. So I, not, maybe I don't need, maybe needs the wrong word, but part of me was sort of excited for this idea of like having somebody else in my life. They wouldn't even probably be knowing the benefit they'd have on me, but just like with your boyfriend, right? Like it's not like he was like, oh, I'm going to help her recover and have a better relationship with food. No, he was just living his life and it, you know, you learned from that and from observing. And so for me, I'm just at this point now where I'm just so curious. And I told this to my friend of, I'd I'd love to find, to be in a relationship, not just for this, but I think it would just be beautiful to see what parts of me shift when I have to learn to coexist with another human being. And I think it would be a really interesting experience, especially for my relationship with like food, body image, how I spend my time, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm currently very single, but I'm looking forward to sort of this experience you're talking about whenever I do find my person someday. Cause I, there's obviously mm-hmm. so much work I can do on my own, but I think there's a level of work that I can't fully unlock until I am just in that stage. I don't know. You know, it's like, I can't unlock that level until I like reach that point. And so Mm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm very curious to see how I am in relationship and how things shift for me. So, Mm -hmm. but I love listening to all this beforehand because it's just like really getting the wheels churning and, and yeah. I'm so glad you said that where it's like, I can only do so much on my own, but that other person is just going to be so helpful. It's almost like they're a mirror for you to see what's most important to you and mm-hmm. what comes out of that mirror. Um, something as you were talking about that, I, I'm going to tell you actually an example that m- might be a little jarring because it was jarring when I made this realization with my boyfriend. Um, and this is not to say anything about him. It's just how he was raised. But I remember crying over his relationship with food because it was so different from mine. And the reason being, I grew up with parents who showed love through food. That was all they knew. 
the language barrier, all of that was kind of food surpassed all of that. And so I received a lot of love through food and I thought a home cooked meal, all of that is what I'm used to. And I really enjoy that. And for my partner, I, I remember him not appreciating one of the meals I cooked him. I was like, babe, isn't this this amazing meal? I spent hours cooking. It's exactly the taste of my parents and like all of this effort. And he was like, yeah, it's, it's good. And I was like, oh my God, it's just good. It's just good. I, I was, I was shook it. And after a long conversation, he told me, Elise, I grew up with parents that were working. They didn't cook me meals. They just brought takeout home and we would just eat in our rooms when we were hungry. We would take the takeout to our rooms and just eat willy nilly without our parents. It was like a whatever thing. Dinner was whatever. And I would rather buy like food or restaurant food than have a home cooked meal because I don't want the hassle and I don't want you to have the hassle. And I will probably never appreciate your meals as much as you do because they share so much. They have so much sentiment in your mind and heart. And I started crying, Emily. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. We are way too different. How could we be so different? So for how much I appreciate his nonchalance with food, I was also like, oh, I see. This is where it's coming from, your nonchalance around food. So it's a double-edged sword. It's beautiful, but also like the differences are astounding with other humans. <laughs> I can imagine. And that's, I mean, I'm sure some people listening can also relate to this. For a long time, I was very adamant of like, I would never date somebody that, this sounds silly to say, but it's very true. I was like, I will not date somebody that doesn't like eat or value food in the same way I do. And I was like, I just don't want to deal with somebody that's going to be like judging my choices, blah, blah, blah. And I, I really was like on a high horse about it for a while. And while I think there are pros and cons to everything, as usual, I think for me, like even from this conversation, right, it's it's just about knowing like what's really important to you and finding somebody that's A, open to being flexible within your own values and your own appreciations. And then someone that you can like also communicate that to, right? And so it's just like right there, like prime example, you guys are on like opposite ends of the spectrum with food. And yet like it works because you're able to communicate it. You're both able to be flexible when time, you know, when it's time to be that way. And you can like coexist in that way. And so it was just so funny because it hit me the other day. I would like you saying that story about him, I would have been like, bye, see ya. You know, like if he, I would have been like, nope, <laughs> this is not meant to be. Red flags of all red flags. But I'm now at a point now where I would just, it would just take communication, flexibility on both parts. And I, I know it could like work out, so to speak. But it's just so mm-hmm. fascinating, like the stories and everything we make up in our mind about at, when at the end of the day, like there's so much that can be resolved and found through like open communication with another person. So I love that example, though. <laughs> it is funny that you said that. Like, bye. Uh, no, thank you. Pass. Because um, thinking about my dating history, I never, ever went for the guys that thought about food more than like the average dude. The the guys that thought about macros or eating chicken to like whatever trade, those were the, f- the guys I found so repelling. And they had an they they had a like a cautiousness around food that was more centered around looks. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that I really really disliked. All the guys I've ever dated or been with were like my current partner. The fact that like it doesn't even cross their mind. Food thoughts like not even a thought. Those are the people I'm most drawn to. I wonder if you're similar. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, it was probably probably like two, three, four years ago where I was in that mindset of like, I was like, I don't want like a gym guy, you know, like somebody that's like super obsessed with food, but like they need to appreciate it and like know what healthy food is, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm like, I just, 
I, I'm just so attracted. I'm same to you. I'm almost repelled by those people because I'm like, they've got some shit to figure out. (laughs) I'm like, I can't, I was like, if I was with them, that would be harmful to me. I think, I think being around somebody that's like still so obsessed with food for like the look reason, like, I think that sort of partnership, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a very aligned mirror for me, you know, like it Mm -hmm. would, I think, you know, whatever it might be. But so, yeah, now I'm kind of more on your end of things where I'm like, it'd be nice if somebody like appreciates food, like not even in like, you know, my more like health conscious way, but in a, like this, this guy was head over heels for, for months now. He, he grew up cooking, he's cooked in restaurants. And I loved that. I love that because he wasn't thinking about all the, like the health macro, all those types of things, but he had a deep appreciation for food Mm -hmm. as like a culinary way. And even the guy I was dating before him, he wasn't quite that way, but he knew how to, he, he was willing to cook me a meal and he was willing to like follow a recipe because he knew it was like important to me that I really appreciate like a home cooked kind of like nice meal. And so, yeah, I think I am definitely that way now where I'm, I'm open to it all. I definitely know I align with people more easily if they do value food or like the culinary arts, but it doesn't have to be there, you know, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So all in all, who knows? We'll see if I find a relationship this year. Um, but I did want to ask you, and this is something mm-hmm. that I've personally been thinking about as well is, and I feel like I kind of know where you feel go are on this based on this conversation, but do you think our relationship to food, our body, ourself, et cetera, should be healed, quote unquote, before we start another relationship, like with another person, romantic partner? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that we need to be not like our, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, best self or like just fully recover. Because I'm saying this because for a long time, I also thought I can't be with somebody until I'm recovered because Mm. like, what are they going to think about me? What are, how am I going to like do this? And so that held me back for a long time from dating people. But I've also thought more recently, like I can't be with somebody until I work on my, like until my body image relationship is healed. Because how Mm. am I supposed to show up in a relationship if I'm constantly like insecure and overthinking my my body and so I am curious to hear like where your thoughts are on all of that I suppose Mm -hmm. this is so great because this is definitely it ties into body image so so well um I think my first relationship with that boy was the first time I felt beautiful or I felt appreciated for how I looked, even though I felt so awful about myself for so many years. It was the first time that someone reflected back positivity for my body. And I was like, you know, this is new. Had I never had that relationship, I would have perhaps sat in that suckiness of like, oh, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel pretty enough or whatever it is enough. But someone someone staying there and saying things and appreciating you for who you are, especially your body, is such a, a first step towards recovery, I think. Um, and I think it's there's periods of growing and there's periods of ebbing. So I think a relationship can help really like speed up the growth of changing the way that you see yourself. And once you have time to reflect and let that really sink in, I think that combination of letting someone tell you how great you are, but also sitting with that and letting it really trickle down so that you can believe it slowly. I think that's the best combination. Truly, because I I love the way you put that, because then it is about at the end of the day, you never want to depend on another person or thing to bring you happiness, joy, confidence, you know, whatever it is. 
but it can be so magical to accept what others are giving you. Maybe that's in the form of a compliment or appreciation or gratitude, whatever it is, and accept it and let it like, yeah, trickle in, let it just sit with you and build your own self-appreciation, worth, gratitude, love, self-image, whatever it may be, because then Mm -hmm. that's what's going to last. And then, you know, if that person or those compliments or that approval, appraisal, whatever it be goes away, at least you have like what you've built up inside of you. You have that well that you've been trickling into time and time again, built mm-hmm. up within. So I I love that that way of putting it, I suppose. Because mm-hmm. I think we all have blind spots for ourselves. Like we don't see things that others see. And I remember reading this book uh, by David Sedaris. Um, He's a comedian and also an author. He's so funny in his books and he's gay. And he was telling, he was talking about his partner and he was saying, I don't know why my partner loves me. I'm the worst person alive. I have the darkest heart. I don't, I'm just like, I'm so cynical. And he said that his partner only sees the positive sides of him. And he just is so befuddled by it. He's like, I don't understand what he sees, but it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy when, someone sees the good in you, you want to continue to honor that and keep growing that part of yourself. So it really is a win-win for you. Oh no, a hundred percent. I love that. And I suppose, so like that being said, say you're in relationship with somebody and you're having a thought that like that, you know, you're like, how are they like not seeing any of my flaws or how are they like, do they actually think I'm beautiful? Like, I guess, do you have any advice for maybe starting or really like leading into what might feel like a hard conversation to have in relationship. Right. And maybe that's like that conversation you and your partner had about him saying, Hey, it's, you know, I appreciate what you did. I'm just not a big home cooked kind of guy. Or maybe it's somebody, you know, expressing, I don't really feel great in my body today. Like whatever it is, do you have any advice on initiating these sort of hard feeling conversations, heavy conversations that a lot of us might just avoid and avoid and avoid until it builds up into something much bigger than it ever needed to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first thing that I that comes to mind is never assuming what the other person is thinking. I think had I just assumed that my boyfriend didn't like that meal, I would have just continued to feel devastated and depressed and like, you know, never want to cook for him ever again. Um, but instead I was like, why do you feel like this? Like, where is this coming from? Like the question of like, where is this coming from? Hmm. I think is a first step to understanding like what the original root of it is. And once you can understand the root, that's, I think that's a great first step. But I think when it comes to body image, this is such a tough thing of like, if someone is, if you're telling someone that you love them or someone is telling you that they love you and how you look, but you just don't believe that about yourself, that's a self-reflection moment too. And hopefully your partner also asks you, you know, where where's this disconnect coming from? When I'm telling you you're beautiful and you keep on acting in a way where you just don't feel like that or, you know, whatever it may be maybe that can help tear apart the beliefs that come from childhood or whatever messages you got as a kid so that you can deconstruct that. Because if I took the messages I had as a kid of like, no one paid attention to me, I was, you know, kind of odd and very quiet to this day, I wouldn't be the person who I am today, who's outspoken, who I can hold a conversation and it has confidence in myself. So you got to let go of some of those previous beliefs and start to make space for new beliefs that other people are, are trying to to kind of can trickle in too. I love that. That's such a beautiful way of putting it is you've got to create space for 
these new beliefs, what, what you're learning now, what you're experiencing now and who you're like shifting and evolving to be. And I do that, that question of where is this coming from? I, that, that hits deep because I think that is what we were saying in the beginning, right. Of like getting to that core, that root thing, you're not placing, you know, you're not saying like, why didn't you like this? Or why didn't you do this? Or I, whatever it is, you're, you're really kind of reaching this point of like a neutral conversation that's just open for discussion and open for conversation and kind of like showing that you, you care enough that you want to figure out like what's happening here, what's going on <laughs> either way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not easy. I'm st- it's always a work in progress, but yeah. it's very important to have as it is. No, for sure. Well, rounding things up here. Uh, this has been such, I just have loved this conversation. So thank you for being so open with everything. But if there's one last bit of advice or a recommendation, anything that you're just feeling called to share today with those listening, I suppose, what would it be? And it can be anything and everything that your your heart's wanting to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think for anyone who is doing this work or who feels drawn to this work, there's probably a reason why you feel drawn to this work. Um, And if you notice yourself getting repelled by certain guys and the the way that they handle food, it's a great mirror for what you value. Um, But if you're struggling with this work, I would say the intuitive eating book is somewhere that is such a lovely place to to start off with. Um, Just seeing what this world has to offer, how to be a normal eater. Those are all such important things. And again, this process takes time. And so if it takes relationships for you to see that intuitive eating or just wanting to be a normal eater is something you're interested in, then yeah, relationships are the best place to start too. So I think it's just, it's a lovely, it's our life is always about self-reflection and knowing who we are on a deeper level. And all of that is great. I love that. I love that. And so if people want to connect, learn more from you and just see everything that you have going on, where can they find you and yeah, follow along. Mm-hmm. So you can follow me along on my podcast as well, Craving Food Freedom. I interviewed Emily and it was a great conversation about trusting herself to make big life transitions. Um, and if you're curious on whether or not intuitive eating is right for you, I have a quiz that you can take on my website, cravingfoodfreedom.com backslash quiz. And you can see if this is the work that might be a great next step for you. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok too, but those are the places to find me. I love it. And I'll link it all below for everyone to check out. So perfect. (laughs) Thank you again for coming on today. Thank you, Emily, so much. Um, I love sharing these stories. And thank you so much for allowing me to share these these funny memories of relationships past. (laughs) 